We come today to uh, certainly a very solemn passage in God's Word. We know that all of Scripture is inspired. It uh, is all profitable. Gives us instruction and correction, doctrine and reproof. It's all important. And I think we need to be careful to suggest that we can elevate some sections of Scripture about others, but but certainly today we come to a, a place that is very holy ground. We have in the section today the description of our Savior's death. This really is, is the center point of Scripture. Everything that's presented in the Old Testament and in the Gospels leading to this point are focused on this event that's described. And the words that are written after in the Acts and in the Epistles and even in the book of Revelation look back to this point. passage assigned today is in Matthew chapter 27, and from verse 27 down to verse 56. I want to start this morning by reading the last two verses of this assigned section. I'm going to put them on the screen. might think it a strange place to start, but let, let's look at these two verses which say, they, this, these two verses describe some people who were watching all of the events that transpired. Some women who had followed the Lord for many years. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there, looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. This morning, what I would invite you to do is to come with me and stand by these women, and stand beside them as they observe all that goes on on Calvary that day. Stand with them there and, and watch the brutality of the Roman soldiers as they abuse and, and mistreat the Lord. Listen to the sounds as these women did. The heckling from the crowd, the angry mob, the taunts from the chief priests and the scribes. They stood there and they heard all of this take place, and we can stand there with them today. Listen as those Roman soldiers take that mallet and drive those spikes through the hands of feet of the Lord. 
Listen as the anguished cry of pain rings out from three men who are hung on crosses on that day. We can watch together as the soldiers gather there at the foot of the cross and gamble over the, the Lord's clothing. We can listen to the Lord himself as he cries out from the cross seven times. Expressions that were never heard before from a man dying on a cross. We can watch with them as the darkness descends and the sun is obscured. With them we can stand in awe as the Lord cries out, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. These women stood there and watched all of these things take place from afar. And they saw at the end that the earth shook and the rocks were split. These are the events that are described in the passages assigned today. Let's stand with these women and observe as we read this passage together. Starting in verse 27 of Matthew 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him. And took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they, man they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him. and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. 
and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him if he, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour, until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. I'd like you to look again at just three words that are given to us in verse 35. I want to bring your attention to those three words. They crucified him. A lot is said in the scripture about the events that took place in Jesus' lives, Jesus' life. We read much about the things that he did while he walked among us. 
even when it comes to these last hours, there is quite a bit written about the things that happened leading up to this point. And, and we read about things that happened after he was hung on the cross, things that happened while he was there, suffering for us. But the actual act of crucifixion is described by just these three words. They crucified him. It's the same in Mark's gospel and in Luke's and in John's. All three capture this pivotal moment in those same three words. All the gospel accounts, they crucified him. Here really is the center of history. This is the turning point of eternity. They crucified him. Just three words. People living in Jesus' day and those to whom Matthew was writing would certainly have understood what crucifixion was. I think that we also have a pretty good understanding of what crucifixion is, but our understanding, I would suggest to you, is a little different than theirs. They, they lived it. People in Jesus' day understood crucifixion because they saw it in person. Crucifixion was actually a, a common form of execution across the Roman world. It was a form of capital punishment. There are many people who were crucified over the years. We, I think today, often, although we know that, we tend to think about crucifixion strictly related to our Lord. We might even have this idea that it's only the Lord who is crucified, but it's not so the people living in Jesus' day would have understood what crucifixion was. We tend, perhaps, even today to kind of romanticize it, if, we, if I dare say so. We wear jewelry sometimes with a cross, a gold cross typically, shiny and bright. But crucifixion happened on a rough, hard, timber cross. It was an ugly scene. It was miserable. It was wretched. was designed to maximize pain. It's a form of punishment reserved primarily for slaves. Roman citizens were forbidden to be crucified, but slaves who rebelled against authority were to be lifted up as a deterrent to others who might be inclined to rebel. The Lord, we read in Philippians, made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, the death of the slave. Soldiers would stretch out the arms of the one to be executed and hold them down against that rough timber. And then one would take a heavy mallet and nail perhaps something like this, I don't know. And drive that nail through the hands and through the feet of the one to be executed. That's crucifixion. That's what happened to our Lord. They crucified him. Him. Who is he? He is, of course, the creator of the universe, the one who put all of the stars in place. Sovereign over all. He's the one who held the very breath of those gathered around that day in, in his hand. They crucified him. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, with their little meager hands, they took the hands of the Lord and bound them. The creature took the hands of the Creator and nailed them to the cross. They crucified him. Who are they? We could say they are the Roman soldiers that were there that day. They hadn't given an assignment. I don't know how many of them were there at the foot of the cross or doing the dirty work of crucifixion, but there would have been a handful, a few, no doubt. Individuals with lives and consciences who had that responsibility that day and they came and crucified the Lord. But more than that, we can see in the crucifixion of the Lord, they represents Pilate, who had given the order, take him out and crucify him. The Roman authority crucified the Lord. The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests who brought the Lord 
to Pilate in order that he be put to death. They crucified the Lord. The mob who stood by chanting, crucify him, crucify him, away with him. They crucified him. More than that, they it stretches beyond those who were just there that day. Around the world and across the centuries, people have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord. It's mankind as a whole, society at large, it's our civilization. They, we, crucified him. As we stand with these women from a little distance away and observe all that's going on that day, I want you to notice with me three specific individuals that are involved in the crucifixion of our Lord. There were many people depicted in the account of the Lord's crucifixion. They all had their own perspective, their own involvement. But I want to look in particular at three of them. These three are Gentiles, like most of us, I'm sure, here today. They were Romans, in fact. The three individuals I want to look at are unnamed, but I want to draw your attention to the fact today that the crucifixion was carried out by individual people. Everyone involved had a life of their own and their own perspective and their own involvement and their own take on the events that were taking place. They were real people who acted with souls and with consciences in many cases, very seared consciences. It was not just Rome that crucified the Lord. It wasn't just the Jewish council at large responsible for the death of the Lord, but it was men, specific men, individuals, who took the Lord and pounded those nails through his hands or who pressed that crown on his head. I want to look at three individual men. They're not named, as I say. But I, I think just to help drive the point home a little bit, I, I, I want to 
want to assign names to them just to distinguish them. We know this isn't scriptural names that they're given, but maybe just to help distinguish them rather than calling them participant one and participant two and participant three. They're real people. The first one we read about in the first section, verse 27 to 31. In this section, we read that the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. The word that is translated in my Bible, garrison, refers to a group of soldiers that could number as many as 600. A large mass of soldier, and there is, of course, we understand a group dynamic that happens sometimes, and sometimes it can turn south and go badly. But I don't want to look at the group of 600 men. I want to look at one of the individuals in that group. We observe him as we stand from afar, and we see his part in the Lord's crucifixion. He is a Roman soldier. No doubt grew up and was raised somewhere near Rome, spoke the language of Rome, understood the culture of Rome, and I'm sure he was a proud man, proud of the fact that he was a Roman citizen. The Romans had conquered the world. He was superior in many ways to these that he had been sent out from Rome to tow in line, to bring into line. He had been sent to the Jewish nation. And there his responsibility was to impose the will and the law and the might of Rome. I suspect that he took great relish in doing it. He was one of this cohort of 600, and there he is in the group. He's a rough, a tough character. He's accustomed to imposing his will on a subjugated people, and he had authority of Rome to do so. want to call this man Brutus, just to keep him distinct. See him there among that group. Who was Christ to this man? The passage opens and says that the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium. To, to this man, this was somebody named Jesus, who was just a, a Jewish convict as far as he was concerned. A man, Jesus was the human name of the Lord. It's the name that he was given at birth. And to this man, Brutus, Jesus is just another man, just another Jew, an inferior group of people that he was there to govern and rule over.
And so they mocked him. Physically abused him. And Brutus takes a crown of thorn that has been woven there and sets it on the head of the Lord and presses it down. We know a little bit about coronation these days. Having just all over the world people tuned in to the coronation of a new king in England. The crown, the robe, the scepter, all very highly significant. Speaking of the authority and the majesty and the sovereignty of the one who is being recognized. And this man, Jesus, there was some word out that he was putting himself forward as a king while well, they, would, they would show him. They would show him where the real authority lay, where the real power was in Rome. And so they put the crown of thorns upon his head and a purple robe on his back and a reed as a scepter in his hand. They mocked him. They made sport of him. They wanted to suppress him and any who would rise up to be like him. Second character that we might observe, we find in verses 32 to 44. Here, after the Lord leaves this garrison, this group, a number of them, we don't know how many, I suspect in my mind that it's probably just a handful, maybe six or eight, we don't know. There's a subset of that larger group that goes out responsible for the actual execution of the Lord. There's another Roman soldier that goes out with Jesus and leads him out. And as we stand with these women, from some distance, we see the procession coming out of the city the Lord carrying his cross and directing them along the way is this soldier. To him, it is just his business. Routine that he's to be carrying out. I can only imagine that the responsibility of taking three people out to execute them on a cross is not assigned to a junior. I, I, I would imagine that the person that takes the Lord to the cross, probably an experienced person, it's not his, he's been out serving Rome in different places. This isn't his first rodeo. Nor is it his first crucifixion, I'm sure. It's just an assignment that he has been given. And so he goes out to do his job. I want to call this man Cassius. You know, it's interesting. You can go onto the internet and find common Roman names from the first century pretty easily. 
You know, that's where I got these from. We don't know his name, but I'm going to say for the sake of clarity, we'll just call him Cassius. Who is Jesus Christ to this man? Well, one of the responsibilities of those who took the criminals to their execution was to create a little placard that the convict would carry with them, which contained the charges against them. And Jesus' charge was, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. His crime was that he had been recognized as the King of the Jews, or reportedly so. That's how Cassius knew this man, Jesus, just as a man who was a convict because he was the king of the Jews. But to Cassius, it was quite irrelevant. Didn't matter to him. I'm amazed as I read the account of the Lord's crucifixion how nonchalant this man appears to be to me. They took him out, they put him on the cross, they pound the nails through his hands and his feet. How cold must have been his heart. He gives him the customary gall to drink. Understand that's what they would normally do. A stupefying liquid that would help perhaps to dull some pain. The Lord would have no part of that. It just seems to me that to this soldier, it rolls off his back like water off a duck's back. It's just nothing to him. And we see, verse 36, this summation of his actions of sitting down. They kept watch over him there. Can you picture it? Crucifies the Lord, sits down perhaps to have his lunch, just another day. He gambles for the clothing, the one who's died upon the cross. Another practice that I understand was common. The clothing of the criminals that were slain would be divided up among the soldiers who had been assigned to perform the execution. And so for this man, three men are killed and they go on with their life. Sitting down, they kept watch. Let's look at number three. Here we have in verse 54, a description of another Roman, another Roman soldier. He has observed all that's gone on, particularly from verses 45 to 54, he watches. And he sees that this crucifixion is not like any other that he has seen before. Who is Christ to this man? 
after he observes all that has gone on, this man recognizes Christ in this way. Verse 54, truly, this was the Son of God. I'm going to call this man Lucius. Lucius stood there and observed all these things that were happening. He heard the Lord speaking from the cross, things that he had never heard before. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He recognized that here is a man who is able to be crying out in a loud voice while hanging on a cross after three hours. I, I'm not an expert on crucifixion, but I have read and understand that it is very difficult to get your breath when you're dying on a cross. It's hard to speak. It's hard to breathe. Crucifixion results often, most often, in suffocation of those who are dying because you can't get your breath as the weight of your body presses down upon your lungs. And people would be reaching out, trying to gasp for breath, but not Jesus, who raises up and cries out in a loud voice. He listens as the Lord cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lucius watches as the sun is obscured. Darkness falls across the scene. Something very different is going on. The earthquake occurs. The rocks are split. <clears throat> I don't know if this man came to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I know on this moment, at this time, he paused to recognize and to acknowledge who Jesus was. Was he convicted of his own sin? Did he actually pause in worship of this man, the Son of God dying on the cross? I don't know. Perhaps one day we will see this man in heaven, the believers in Jesus Christ. His response is summarized by these words. He feared greatly. He feared exceedingly when he saw this happen. Over these three dark hours, the weight of the sin of the world fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior bore the punishment of the sin of the world upon himself. He bore my sin 
and yours on the cross at Calvary. They crucified him. They crucified him. Just three words. Seems to me that as we look around the world today, we can categorize everybody in this world as falling into one of these three categories. Maybe that's overstated, but certainly there are three categories of people in the world today. The Lord deals with individuals. He deals with people one-on-one. The Lord's dealings with you are not on the basis that you're a member of some party or some group or some church or some country or some faith. The Lord deals with you today one-on-one as a person, an individual. Your standing before God is not based on what church you've gone to or what faith you'd adhere to or what political group you're associated with what country you go up, or what your culture was. You can't hide behind these things. Each one of us will deal one-on-one with God individually, and our standing before him is based on how we respond individually to him, just as these individuals dealt with Christ one-on-one on that day. Brutus, he chose that name because it means heavy. Brutus was heavy-handed. Word Brutus, of course, the name is where we get the word brute or brutal. That's how many in our world respond to Jesus Christ today. They really want nothing to do with him. They see him as a ridicule. They treat him with disdain. They think that perhaps... Our culture today has moved way on past those kinds of ways of thinking. You know, we have have gotten better than all of that. They actively seek to oppose the Lord. There are those who, like Brutus, want nothing to do with Christ and would even ridicule him. So it is in our society today. There are others who are more like Cassius. The name Cassius means empty or vain. Like Cassius, many, many in the world today just really don't care a whole lot about it. They hear the stories of the crucifixion of the Lord, and they've heard it before, and they'll listen again, but life just goes on for them. They don't think too much about it. Just another event that took place. Perhaps they'll, they'll take some interest in it in as far as it serves their purposes. If there's some benefit for them, they'll, they'll sign up. But otherwise, they're really not too interested. Many in the world are like that today. But I want you to look more at Lucius. I hope your response might be like his. The word, the name Lucius means light. 
And here is a man who suddenly, upon whom the light shone, who got it in the end. When he saw all that took place, he came to understand and to appreciate that this, this man is the Son of God. What is your response to Jesus Christ? Not your church's response, not your community's response, not your nation's response, your individual response. As a person standing before God, what do you say about Christ? What is your position with regard to his death on the cross? Do you look at him and trust and believe and exercise faith? Do you stand at the foot of the cross with these women who were disciples of the Lord who had followed him and recognize him as your Lord, as your Savior? Our eternal future is tied up in how we respond to the Lord. Your destiny for all of eternity is dependent upon responding appropriately to the death of the Lord on the cross at Calvary. I pray that each one here today looks upon the cross of Christ and sees there the Lord of glory dying there to bear the punishment of your own sin, your sin, my sin. As individuals, we will be accountable to God one-on-one. -on -one. They crucified him. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we, we stand in awe and wonder as we observe the scenes of the cross. All of these events that took place in those few short hours. We marvel to think that the creator of the universe would humble himself and become obedient to death on the cross. That as those who walked by taunted him to come down from the cross, he, he chose rather not to come down from the cross, but to stay upon the cross, demonstrating the power of God, not through military might, but through the act of his will to take our sins upon himself. Father, we pray that we would each evaluate in our own hearts our response to Jesus Christ and to his death on the cross at Calvary. We pray that each one here today
would be able to go forward in faith, recognizing him as our Lord, as our Savior, as the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We ask for your help in this in Jesus' name. Amen.